Oh, have a really loud laugh. Do you ever, you see, ever seen your waveforms? It's hilarious. My laugh is delicate. <laughs> yeah. I'm feminine. Delicate like a rhinoceros. This is really weird doing it in person. You're you're right there. Yeah. It's very strange. Like, usually... It's it's an emotional moment for me, Edgar. It's, it's been... It's a nervous moment for me. It's been 11 and a half months since I've seen you in person. I know. It's crazy. And now we get to, do, we get to see each other in person while working. Yep. It's very strange. We are in person because uh, both of us went and uh, saw Star Wars together last night. So this is going to be a Star Wars episode uh, on the Artifact Scene podcast. But, but, no spoilers, we're going to record a regular episode. And then at the end, we're going to talk about Star Wars. So we'll put a very clear marking saying that this is now the spoilery section. Here be spoilers. Here be spoilers, just so people... Um, abandon all pretense you who enter here exactly exactly uh, so for people who don't care about spoilers they can just keep listening the whole way through for people in the future they can just keep listening the whole way through but for people who really care about spoilers there will be a clear marking proceed no further after this point sounds good to sounds me sounds good alright should we do some follow up first let's do some follow up okay so what do you got I as always I have loads of things to follow up on uh, the first bit of follow up I want to mention is hashtag team licorice <laughs> it has taken off and by taken off I, I mean I had one tweet uh, from a guy called Tom uh, on Twitter and he is now our inaugural member uh, of Team Licorice uh, and he sent a picture of himself holding a, a few of those like licorice all sorts sweets yes yeah I, I, I retweeted this at you yes I saw that it was very good I have one problem though there was four or five hands in that photo and only one of them had licorice I feel that those that Tom needs to tell his friends that they also, too, must get on board with Team Licorice and enjoy the wonder that is Licorice. So, uh, Tom, you l- l- talk to your friends and get them to send pictures to me. Hashtag Team Licorice. And, and just because I put this at the end of the last show, so I want to restate it here right at the very top. Anyone who likes Licorice and is a fan of Licorice, please, please, please tweet at me or Facebook me or find me on social media Ideally with a picture of you holding some licorice and with the hashtag Team Licorice because this this needs to be a thing. There has to be more licorice awareness in the world. And we are discriminated against licorice likers. You, we are. Don't look at me like that. We totally are. Everyone's all like, ooh, that's disgusting. That's an old man sweet. It's not. It's cool and it's delicious. Why, why are you looking at me like that? You're weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's so strange. But see, now that we're in person, I get to see Bill's reaction to what I'm saying. Because usually it's just... Yeah, I can't keep up my usual diplomatic facade. It'll it'll all be laid out there. I always, when we're talking, I always think, oh God, Bill is like, uh, while I'm ranting on my stories, Bill's like sitting there with with his head in his hands, just shaking, going, why did I sign up for this show? Only about 40% of the time. Only 40% of the time. (laughs) In my head, it's like uh, like 110%. Shot on my foot, Edgar. Oh, I'm sorry, Bill. We're very close listeners. We're, uh, we're, what is it, maybe two feet apart? About a meter, maybe? About, About a meter. So, yeah, hashtag Team Licorice. Let me know. Tweet at me. Facebook me. If you like licorice, I want, I, I really want to hear from everyone. Yeah? Let's make this a thing. Uh, I have another thing to say as well is uh, last episode, I, I need to apologize to everyone who does not live in the US. Because I kept, uh, we had a very Irishy episode last time where we talked mm-hmm. a lot about Irish stuff. And I kept saying, can you, to you, I kept being, can you explain for all the people, for all our American for listeners, our American yeah, listeners. Yeah. and which is terrible because I, uh, Dominic, as far as I know, our resident space cartographer, he is German. German, yeah, he's German. We have a couple. Do you know him? Of, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
God. <laughs> we have, uh, we have, uh, I think, a Danish listener. We we had an d- uh, email from someone from Denmark. We, we have, have, yeah. Yeah, we have, we have English listeners as well. We have a lot of people who aren't just from the States. So I, I, I need to apologize for branding everyone who's not Irish as US citizens. That's, that's, that's not very cool. So, yeah. And then I suppose one more thing is we had more math world building in the subreddit from Cerberus, who left the part two essentially. Uh, on how to world build with math, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna uh, restate his points. They're very good, and they're in the Reddit for anyone to uh, who wants to go check it out. I just want to put forward an additional thing, and that is origami as maths. Hmm? Do you know about this? I don't think I've come across this specifically before, but it sounds like a very natural. Yeah, it sounds matty. Yeah, yeah. Like so you know the way in uh, in the Western world or in Europe, say, uh, math sort of began with a straight edge and compass, and that's how right, yeah. we, we began to figure things out. In the East, in China, I believe, uh, math we did they didn't have straight edge and compass, or they didn't prefer it, say, and they did their kind of Pythagorean stuff with origami, with folding paper. Japan. It could or, be Japan. Or could, origami, then? Uh, I don't know. It, it, in the East Samus. But the point is, they did not favor straight edge and compass. And what makes it cool, what makes this actually a better system, not just kind of like, oh, it's different. It's actually better than the straight edge and compass in that you can cube root things when you origami. You can split things very easily into threes and you can do cube root. So you, that's, uh, you cannot do that with straight edge and because compass. Because two-dimensional origami can be three-dimensional. Yeah. Well, it's not even three-dimensional. It's just it, the, you can fold very nicely into cube roots. I'll, I'll throw a link in the a video. I'll throw a link in the description to a video on this. Okay. Uh, and it's actually a superior system. I just want to bring that up because uh, it got me thinking when I watched this video about, say you have a, like a scene uh, in a novel or something and you go to like, you know, the wise old sage sort of you know they had the kind of father figure who knows a lot about the world and you know sorry a stereotypical thing where he's kind of like a quasi hermit and his room is kind of da vinci-esque you know with bits of inventions everywhere a nice nice little flavor could be a lot of origami spread around the room and people like me would go oh i get it he's trying to understand how the universe works and things like that i just i think that's a cool point i can think of one example in fiction of origami being used in that kind of way Oh, go. Um, I've probably mentioned before a comic series from the 90s called The Invisibles. I don't think you have, at least not in the podcast. Oh, okay. It's by Grant Morrison, who's a very, very uh, big comic writer, a uh, Scottish dude, and he went over to DC in the late 80s and was doing a lot of interesting stuff in the 90s. But he wrote this, this series, The Invisibles, okay. and it was a huge influence on The Matrix in particular. Like The, the second series of it was actually on set during the filming of the first Matrix oh. film, and it was used as a visual reference, and there's a lot of kind of common themes and things. But uh, part of the plot involves a time machine, and okay. the design of the time machine is derived from an origami. Oh, right. I, th- I think the origami is made in Japan in the 40s, and then it, it like, travels, like, this old Japanese dude makes it, and it travels to his, like, descendant, in the future, who like looks at it and, and figures out the maths behind it and uh, how oh, that wow. can fold space time to be a time machine? Oh, that's that's cool. Yeah, uh, I can get down with that. That's really really cool. So I just wanted to chuck that in there. I think that's another additional point on on uh, math building. It's uh, and in general for for listeners, the YouTube channel Numberphile. I'm sure a lot of people who listen to this podcast are also watch Numberphile. But like, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised how much world building 
um, resource is in that channel. It's amazing. Mm. It really is. And how much numbers can play like a crucial role in a, in a setting, in a world. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there you go. What's a oh, question? Uh, what's your thoughts on The Matrix? Good film, bad film? Or films, plural, should um, I say? It's dated terribly. It's very, yes. very dated. It, yes. Um, the first film, it's all right. The rest okay. of the films aren't all right. <laughs> aren't all right in the sense that you um, you just don't like them or aren't all right in, like, they deliver bad messages or... No, not not like that they're, like, offensive or anything. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's a kind of filmmaking. Like, I'm not a fan of how the Wachowskis make films at all. Okay. I have, find what it, else have the Wachowskis done? Anything huge? V for Vendetta. Never seen it. Which, yeah, it's it's all right, but part of... And, and this isn't a criticism that it didn't do what the original comic did. It's an adaptation. Adaptations do different things. And yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. But one thing that the that changed that I didn't like kind of on its own merits was that it became very slick. It was the very... Like, the fight scenes were very kind of clean. Okay. And um, this is not what the... And, like, in, in the comic is written with this quite dirty art style and... and okay. Like, I, I prefer action films and fight scenes that are a little bit kind of rough. Like Die Hard? Um, I don't remember how Die Hard is shot, but have you ever seen Old Boy? No, no, never heard of that. Oh, Old Boy's amazing. Old Boy, okay. it's, um, it's a Korean film. It's, I think it's part of a trilogy. What's, what's the plot? A guy gets kidnapped and locked in a hotel room for like 20 years. Yeah, no, I definitely haven't seen And this. then he just suddenly gets released and he goes to find out what happened to him. And when he's in his hotel room, like he, he just becomes obsessed with finding out why this has happened and with getting revenge. And he spends like he spends like the twenty years or whatever, just like punching the wall and like training himself to be able to fight. Oh, and there's an incredible fight scene in it where he he's tracked down some guys that were involved somewhere, some guys that he thinks know why what happened to him happened, and um, he he fights off a gang and he's he's just got a hammer. Just like a regular claw hammer. Right. And there's like 30 gang members and it's in a corridor and it's one long continuous shot from the side as he goes up and down the corridor fighting these Oh, cool. But it's brilliant because they're all kind of crap at fighting. Like, it's not like everyone like executes perfect roundhouse and everyone is a taekwondo master. (laughs) Like, loads of them, like, they they go and they, like, throw a punch and they miss or they stumble and they kind of get in each other's way and stuff. And it's it's just kind of messy and... I don't know, it's just, yeah, I, I, I much prefer that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, and also, I, he's beaten dudes with a hammer, which is just horrible. Uh, <laughs> I am, I'm the opposite. I'm in favour of slick fight scenes. I think it's really cool. Okay. Really, really slick fight scenes are really good. Yeah, uh, The Matrix, I think, is one of the best movies ever made. The three movies, I think, are just like a seminal work in science fiction. I'm totally on board with The Matrix. I'm with Neil deGrasse Tyson and just, just want to just say he, he he thinks it's awesome as well. I, I agree with you. They are really dated, uh, like especially the big CG fight scene with all the Smiths. Yeah. I believe in the second one, I think it was. At the start of the second one, that, yeah. The CG's horrible in that. Like, it's it wasn't just, even that good at the time. Yeah, it wasn't even that good. Um, um, the, the, the first one is, is dated very badly, though. I mean, the, the CG at the end of it where he stops the bullets and stuff, it looks yeah, terrible. Yeah, but I'm like, I'm totally okay with that. If, the story's good, and I think the story yeah. is really good. I, I don't particularly. Really? No, yeah. I don't particularly like it. I mean, it's. I don't think there's anything that interesting about it. It gets... I think maybe I like it, and this is going to make me sound like an awful hipster, because as the series goes on, as the three movies go on, it gets more arty. Right. And more... Um, I, I'm going to say less about the violence, but I don't know if that's entirely true, and more about the, like, the philosophical ramblings mm. and philosophical debate. And I think that's really cool to have yeah. in like mainstream cinema because like 
you could easily repackage that as an art an art film mm. you know and I, I I'm totally on board I think that the matrix is awesome you know um yeah I mean that's you know that's fine that aesthetic but I I prefer it a bit more brutal and messy a bit more metal oh speaking of metal I believe we have some emails pertaining to metal yes we've got uh, another one from Lupier very good um who we've talked about before he's emailed us a few times our resident um black metal fan as he likes to be called he's got a couple things to say uh he first of all um has read some of my work on botswana and he's very interested and did he find it did he find it as dull as i found it yes thank you edgar you're such a (laughs) such a lovely friend i am the best Um, you didn't find it dull, you found it brilliant. It was very good, it was it. very good, it was very good. He recommends the band Opera 9, I mean it's it's typeset Opera IX, I assume it's pronounced Opera yeah. 9. He, they, they're an Italian symphonic black metal band, um, one of the very few black metal bands that's female fronted. Oh. And they just released a new one, uh, Back to Sepulcro. Okay, which... have you listened to this? I have, yeah. Oh, good. What's yes, your thoughts? Yes, I enjoyed it. Um, 12. We're not, we're not doing that. <laughs> It's, yeah, it's it's very good example of that style. It's, you know, that kind of thing done very, very well. I'm going to actually mention a band that I'm into at the moment. Okay. They're called Denigrata. Right. They're an English uh, black metal band. They're from Northampton, I think. Okay. And they're, they're actually led by a friend of mine. All right. Okay, cool. Uh, Denigrata herself, who I know f- through Metal Scholarship. Oh. Um, she's a friend of mine. And they've just released their first album, which is um, Missa Defectorum, Requiem Mass in A Minor. Wow. Yeah. Um, so that it's sung largely in Latin, and it's structured like a Requiem Mass. Huh. But it's a black metal album. Cool. And as well as that, it incorporates some kind of elements from breakcore and stuff. Oh. So, you know, um, Aphex Twin. Yes. And Otecker and Venetian Snares. Yeah. Some of those kind of percussive sounds. That's a cool mismatch of things. Like yeah, cool. it, it works. And then there's uh, some classical elements. It's not quite symphonic, but there there are classical elements to it. Like there's um, a soprano vocalist as well and cool. um, keyboard stuff. So yeah, it's very, very good. I've there, there are albums available on Bandcamp. I just got it there a couple of days ago and I'm awaiting my physical copy in the mail. It should be arriving shortly. Very cool. Will you show me some links now? Yeah, put, definitely. I'll put them in the show notes. Um, so anyone who's into black metal, definitely worth checking out. And there's those sort of tech and kind of break core elements to it as well that I think are very interesting. Very cool. Very cool. Good. Good. I'll, I'll chuck them in the show notes. And Lupia, let us know what you think. For sure. Yeah. Uh, we actually got another email about music. It's all about music today. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is from uh, Jafiki99, I think, is the... It's Jafiki91. 91. 91, yeah, yeah. Jafiki91. And they're asking a sort of a music theory question. Oh. And I suppose we're the right people to ask for this. Yeah. In a way. Two music degrees. <laughs> yeah. The question, anyway, is most music in the West is diatonic and heptatonic, so there's seven notes per octave. Okay, yeah. Um, and they're asking about tetratonic and... Uh, pentatonic so four notes system. per octave so four and five notes per octave and what they're looking for is a, an in-depth explanation of what it means for a culture's music to be tetratonic or pentatonic um okay yeah that's that's a hell of a question <laughs> yeah it's a whopper of a question yeah it's it's very big i mean i i've, I've got some thoughts here but what would you say oh my thoughts is that it's it's the sort of question that can only really be answered in a postgraduate paper in a way. And there's a whole field of study dedicated to this sort of thing, ethnomusicology? Yeah, ethnomusicology, which is anything that's 
outside kind of the Western classical canon, the Western classical tradition. I would say that Jafiki should uh, start by Googling that, mm-hmm. say, okay, and uh, use that as a springboard. In term, it's a really difficult question to answer. In terms of of world building, my views when it comes to world building music is that one should concern himself less with the theory and more with the cultural implications of that music. Um, yeah, that, that I'd I'd be inclined to agree with that. But elaborate, elaborate more. Yeah, I mean, I I don't I don't world build music. Yeah, same. I, I well, why, it, why not? I just I, I'm kind of. I'm too I'm too involved in it somehow. Yeah, I'm exactly the same. The, the way we think about music, especially like you know, especially from being from the West and and and, and there are kind of cultural music. I understand the history of that quite a way back. Not like every element of it, but I I can follow a thread pretty much the whole way back to Pythagoras mm-hmm. in how music is theorized, which is something that the average person won't be able to do. No, no, and and also won't care about. Yeah, and you know, it's yeah. like you know, if you're super involved in architecture not everyone is going to really care about the threat of architecture going back to Imhotep or whatever yeah. exactly and they're not going to care if you write a book yeah. where you go into massive detail describing the construction yeah. of various arches and I wouldn't you know? I wouldn't go into massive detail necessarily if I was doing a story but mm. I would want the details to be correct I'd, I'd to be happy I'd need to have a theoretical basis back to sort of something foundational like Pythagoras yeah. and the culture I'm presenting have the music developed on that and then how it's involved with all the cultural stuff is as well, which I guess is probably what you're kind of talking yeah. about the the cultural side of things. Um, can can you explain Pythagoras in a in a neat little bundle to people? Like what's because they will they will associate him with the you know triangle. Okay, yeah. So what's Py- Pythagoras was kind of a, a Greek mystery cult leader. Yeah, he was. <laughs> he was. Yeah, he was a crazy dude. He also had a fear of beans. I'm told, and that played a role in his demise. Huh. I think his death was pertaining to beans. Was he not stabbed by the Romans in a bean field? All right. According to Vihart on this, I'll link to the video. It he seems like he's equal parts mad, delusional, brilliant, and really just not a nice human being. Hmm. Yeah, I'll link to the video. Okay. The video. So yeah, he, he led he led a a sort of mystery cult. In, it was actually in modern day Sicily. It was, was oh, he, he not was Greece. a Greek ethnically, but oh. they, like Sicily was Greek for a long time. Oh, cool. Um, I think anyway, and yeah, he's the, so. They did a lot of research into maths, and they discovered mm. a lot of kind of things about mathematics, like the Pythagorean theorem, yeah. um, or so it's assumed. He did execute a cult member who proved the existence of irrational numbers. Yes, that was which, very that that undermined a lot of his like ethos. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is pretty bizarre. Yeah. Um, but in terms of music, okay, yeah. So he developed uh, a kind of consistent way of tuning. Of tuning instruments and of tuning notes, I won't go into it now exactly. It's, but it's very no, notes heavy. Are, notes are based on harmony in, in music is based on ratios between between vibrations notes. between frequencies yeah. of the notes, and that's obviously a very mathy kind of thing. And and he did a lot of work on that, and he thought that he, like, music was sacred to him. It, it mm. kind of um, representing you know the harmony of the spheres and things like that, which is quite a common thread through, mm. throughout uh, Western music. So he was one of the first people who who we can actually talk of as a music theorist. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd be reluctant to actually try and world build actual music on, unless you kind of put in some groundwork because otherwise you're just going to end up reproducing stale ideas of what's already in Western music. 
and um, reluctant uh, for me you'd be reluctant to world build the theory side of things as well <laughs> see I'd like to do it I just yeah. know it would kind of take me down a rabbit hole that I'd never get out exactly. of exactly and and again no one would care yeah. no one would care about you know some like the the ratio like how many like how many times we divide up the octave equally and things like that no one, yeah. no one cares no it's one cares. not relevant really yeah. to nearly anything I'm going to write exactly um, so, so how how is music relevant in, in world building how can it be made relevant um as you said, like, consider the cultural side of things. Right, elaborate so, more on that. The way we think of music now, that we've got, you know, the p- performers and the audience, and they're, they're separate, mm. and how things, how, how the performance of music is facilitated as a kind of a cultural idea in our society, it is unique to our society. And as with everything else, when it's what we're, we're raised to and what is part of our society, we, we don't tend to critically engage with it, and we kind mm. of assume it's normal. Like... Even even the history of Western music is bananas. You can elaborate more on that. Um, I don't know if you know much about like Renaissance music. Uh, I specialised in Renaissance music in in college. Your Dowland stuff. My Dowland stuff. Now I yes. did. I specialised playing, not specialised in sort of the broader context yeah. of it. So um, I think this is your field to cover. <laughs> well, no, I just I have this one book here somewhere. Uh, yeah. Oh, Bill stares at his shrine to dead trees. Um, and th- picks picks up a tome, okay, a dusty yeah. tome. Th- yeah, this is it is actually quite a dusty tome. I actually got this from the college library. I think. What's it called? The The Pelican History of Music, Volume Two: The Renaissance and Baroque. Ooh. And you see, there's a bit in here because I got it, and there's a page missing. Oh, um, good. Well, I found another copy of this exact same book in work, so I just photocopied the missing page and stuck it in. Like, it's, if viewers could see it, it's just like an A4 page folded and jammed <laughs> in the, the correct place. Um. But yeah, it, it, so the Dowland was in England, like the 1500s or so, like Elizabethan. Yes. This is a little bit earlier on the continent. So musicians were mostly men, pretty much always men, and mm. musicians were servants. Yes. So they would wear the, the livery of like the, the house that they were, were working in, and you'd be raised as a child, you'd be taken as a child if you showed any promise and taught to sing, and then when you're, you're a little bit older, you'd be taught to like play the clavichord or the viol or something, mm. and then if you were good on instruments, you'd be taught to compose. Yeah, exactly. And it was a great status to have good musicians. Hmm. And people would kidnap musicians from each other. Really? Yes. <laughs> so if you knew that your rival, two city-states away, had like a chap with a promising voice, then you would send your dudes and like kidnap that child and like bring him back huh. to your household. So you would train him and he would be your singer and then composer. And is this just purely that people want to have the best? Like, is it a status thing? It's like, a status I have thing. the I greatest think, musicians in the I land. I think so. Okay. I think so. That's it's, interesting. It's, and I mean, that's just crazy. Like, yeah, there, that there, is, there's yeah. a, an account in this book of some chap who was, like, kidnapped three or four times before the age of 13. God, he must have been very good. I guess so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess so. And that's in, you know, not that distant history, really. I mean, that's still mm. like a, a, a kind of a history we, ha- we understand a fair bit about the society. Mm. Um, mm. I mean, even as late as the late 70, mid mid to late 1700s, I'm going to say, mm. around the time of Haydn, the, the composer, Joseph Haydn, mu- composers weren't artists in the way we consider them now. Servants. Yeah, well, they were craftsmen. Oh, yes. So yeah, a yeah. composer was like a carpenter. I think mm. a great carpenter who makes, you know, beautiful cabinets or beautiful chairs or whatever is kind of seen as an artist and his, his work is appreciated. But not but the it's same not like way. A, yeah, it's not the way artists. we think of artists yeah, now. Yeah. Um, and we think of composers now, and we have the idea of like this romantic, tortured hero, you know, pouring their soul out into the page. Exactly. Yeah, that, yeah. that you know, they 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 had a job. They were craftsmen. Mm, mm. You know, even even like people you know, like Bach, who's like one of the greatest composers of all time, 
in yeah. the kind of how we view the canon. You know, he wrote a cantata every week for it's, like thirty it's years. Uh, cantata is a work, is a song work. Is a work? Yeah, it's it's a big work. He wrote like a load of music for church at yeah. the weekend every week. I, I, his like his entire years. output is up in the thousands of pieces, isn't it? Like yeah, many it's huge, thousands. huge, it's huge. massive. And because that was his job. That was his job. Was he got up in the morning and he went to choir rehearsal and he conducted the choir and he talked to musicians and he shouted at them when they played the wrong notes <laughs> and then he wrote down music all day. Yeah. For his entire life. Yeah. It's definitely um, far removed from the and, artist thing. And that's even only getting into, like, Western music. I mean, if we talk about the music of other cultures, mm. then, like, it's, like, so far apart. Like, like um, Maori music theory. Maori music is so completely different. Do you know to- anything about Maori music theory? Yes. Oh! We had a chap come to college oh. when I was in maybe fourth year, who a, a New Zealand chap. I I missed this. A New Zealander chap, oh. um, who is a composer, and he did he had done a little bit of work about Maori music, and it's um, heavily heavily microtonal, so very very small uh, distinctions in pitch, and um, very small span. So you know we have very low notes and very high notes. Mm. Maori music often takes place within only like kind of what we would have maybe four or five notes. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, and more notes within that space. Yeah, and then oh. it's all about specific pitches. It's about intonation and. Oh. Uh, timbre and glissant, like gliding between the pitches rather than actually having boop, boop, boop. Oh, wow. I didn't yeah. know that. I had no idea yeah. about that music. Wow. I mean, I'm, I'm half remembering this from like yeah. a lecture three years ago, so maybe some of the details are wrong, but mm. that's the gist of what he said. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so the, I, I think this uh, that kind of highlights the fact that one... Uh, should not worry too much about theoretical things and worry about like their yeah. about how a culture views their music as yeah. opposed to like how many notes exactly do they use and you know like uh, how do they what's the theory around it you know? yeah yeah definitely so I guess to give kind of a more direct answer to Jafiki um, it's really hard to say what it would mean for a culture's music to be tetratonic or pentatonic for general advice on world building music I would say think about the cultural side of things and. And I would say, sorry to interrupt, I would say use music as a metaphor for whatever is, whatever your story you're trying to well, tell. Well, yeah, that, that can be an effective tactic, yeah, Definitely. for sure. And then that bypasses all the theoretical stuff. Um, I, I think a good example, I'm going to get the place wrong, but there is, there exists a music somewhere, I don't know where, I read about this a, a while ago, uh, that has this concept that certain notes have a certain quality and certain other notes have an opposing quality. Mm-hmm. And that for one to be a skilled musician, one needs to balance out the sort of yin-yang. I use yin-yang, but I don't think it's Chinese. And that has nothing got to do with theory. Like, yeah. you, do, you can easily evolve that in a story. Like, you know, like the old sensei gives a, yeah. gives a you know, an account of the state of the universe to his, his Padawan or whatever. And he uses this music as a metaphor. Yeah. And that is a way of not having to worry about, like, the theoretical underpinnings, which no one exactly. cares. Exactly. Yeah. And it's so hard to, to actually break away from, from the theoretical underpinnings. Mm. Because we're so raised to it. I mean, even like sitting down to write music, if you like write it in, you know, sheet music, mm. you're already buying into yeah. the underlying assumptions of exactly what sheet music is, which is Western 12 notes per octave system. Because it's ridiculously difficult to notate something that isn't Western in our system, yeah. you know? Um, so, I mean, if you want to world build music and you actually want to create the music, I would say really do think about the theory 
um, sit down and like look at it from a, from foreign perspectives. Look at it from the, with the or listen to it with the ears of other cultures. Look at it with fresh eyes. It's a research thing. It is a research thing. Listen, I mean, like listen loads. What it means for a culture's music to be tetratonic, you know, and also it, it can be lots of different things. Like not all Western music is the same. Yeah. Not all music that uses the diatonic or chromatic or whatever, the, mm. however you want to describe Western music, is the same. There's so many different ways to talk about it. The same can probably be said of tetratonic and pentatonic yeah, music. Exactly. I, definitely. Um, so, I mean, definitely keep sending us questions about music because I, you know, I can, Edgar, you know, I can spout <laughs> off about this for, for literal days. On if end. someone sends like, uh, Napoleonic era music questions to Bill, he might just have a heart attack and like in a good sense. I know. I'll just start singing Heart of Oak. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it's a very interesting question and it's, like Bill says, it's something, or like we, we kind of both agree on, it's something that requires years of study to really actually yeah. be able to answer. Uh, so I don't know how well we talked about it, but hopefully we gave some ideas to get the mind going. You Try know? it out. Yeah. Sit down and get, get, get instruments, build instruments that divide the octave into four or five notes and come up with something. Yeah. Why not? Goes. Yeah, exactly. Come up and come up with your own notation system for it. Yeah. It's something that we would probably like to see. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I would. I would absolutely love to see that. If anyone comes up with alternative notation systems, yeah, that I, would be superb. I, although I've divorced myself from the whole music composing scene, yeah, uh, that is something that still would be very interesting as well. So, if someone wants mm. to send us that, um, email, email us. We'll throw a little contact thing in the show notes. Yeah, excellent. All right. Okay. So, uh, what else we got? Oh, let's. Should we do some uh, flag corner? Okay. So I'm gonna. Send something to you on Facebook, Edgar, which oh. I want you to look at. Okay, I need to uh, open up Facebook. All right, well, this is very interesting. Uh, I am literally Facebooking you, and you are at one meter away from me. I know, right? Modern, modern times. These times we live in. This is... Okay, so I know you, you want this to be a corner for flags you don't like, but I'm going to... I'm going to claim this is awesome flag corner. Okay, all right. Um, okay. Oh, a waiting message? Is this, is this, is it no, my Facebook hasn't opened yet. I'll try to do it on my phone. Uh, oh, no, here we go. Okay, check out this flag. Okay, opening link now. Oh, uh, okay, so I, I was doing some research into uh, a flag for today, and this is actually on my shortlist for one of the shit flags that I was going to talk about. <laughs> I think I think it's brilliant. Uh, how Would you care to describe it, Yeah, Edgar? let's describe. Okay, so it is a um, red background, mm-hmm. and there is a golden bear encased in what looks like the... It kind of looks like the the, the path of an electron around an atom. The, the, the three orbitals. The th- Stylized, yeah. Three stylized orbitals. Three stylized orbitals encasing this golden bear who is... Uh, tearing apart what looks to be an egg of some description and he's got a very disgruntled look and he, and he's trying to break free of the orbitals as well and also uh, uh, the little shading on the bear looks like little like Harry Potter lightning bolt strikes oh, it does a little yeah it, it's very it's not great what why do we like this <laughs> it's the flag of Zhelezhnogorsk which is a closed city in Russia uh, what do you mean a closed city it's uh, like a, you, you can't just go there like it's a restricted access oh right okay as far as I know anyway oh is it like military or well it's where it was the centre of um, uranium enrichment for weapons oh and it's now part it's important to the Russian space programmes oh, oh god that that's that's why it's like okay what's the bear doing he's 
tearing apart the nucleus. He's tearing apart. Oh the my nucleus. god, it's so terrible. That's so awful. And the bear, the bear is the Russian thing, isn't the it? The bear is Russia. Yeah. Man, atomic is... bear science, Edgar. What is there not to like about atomic bear science? It's such a terrible flag. It's really awful. Oh, it's so bad. And it's got the classic uh, red and yellow communist mm. things. That's just. <laughs> It's like it's like the uh, the Soviet um, the Soviet response to the California flag with the bear on it. It's like the Soviet version of that. I can't think of any other bear flags. There are other bear flags. None that come to mind. Yeah, no, no, no obvious ones. I, so you just like it because it's got atomic bear science. Yeah, I think, I think it's brilliant. So you're totally you're totally waving the fact that it's terrible flag. It's not a terrible flag. Ah man, but like one of the rules of a good flag is that uh, children should be able to draw. That- Rubbish. That's not rubbish. That's absolutely How is that rubbish? Rubbish. But some it's... guy said that. No, some no, but it wasn't just some guy. It's in like the style rules for a vexillogical association. I can't remember which one. I'll put it in the show notes. But it's like a style guide. So But it's like going double spacing in an academic papers is just such rubbish. That's just what you but do. No, that that's that's an entirely different context. I mean <laughs> this is just a it's like, does that mean like the Belarusian flag is terrible, or the yes, yes, the Uzbekistani flag, yes, the Portuguese flag, the Portuguese flag, the Vatican flag is tolerable. The the Vatican flag is not great. Like those crests on uh, those Brazil, those seal. Well, Brazil is a different one. Those seals on a on a blanket sort of flags, they are all terrible. So Portugal's terrible, Vatican's terrible. Uh, what else is terrible? Anything with all those little tiny nations that have the English flag plus a crest, they're all terrible. They can't be reproduced easily. So? Not iconic enough. You have to be like you like But okay, how accurate do you have to be? Because the American flag is hard to get right. Yeah, you don't have to be accurate, but I mean like there is you cannot achieve any accuracy at all, I think, with the Portuguese flag. Like I study flags a lot. I look at a lot of flags per day, and I could not even attempt to reproduce the Portuguese crest in the middle. Same Mexico. with the, what? Me- the Mexican flag's amazing. Mexican flag. Yeah, I, that thing in the middle? Who knows? No That's idea. such a great flag. I think it needs to be, it has to be a, a, a like, a, a graphic design, minimal co- colours thing to be a good flag. Really? And that bear doesn't fall into it. That, that bear's a shocking flag, man. Brilliant. <laughs> I'm really glad. It just that looks so cool. It, it, it's a nice picture, just not a good flag. You never, and like, if you're like, say you're like, uh, like a kilometer away maybe that's a bit far but you're a distance away from the flag and it's blowing in the breeze you're not going to see the bear who's going to see the bear never the whole point of flag is identifiable from a distance but like, you'd still see what flag it is even if you don't make out the specific you'd, you'd, bear. S- you'd see a red plus yellow thing so why not eliminate the bear and just make a stylized symbol that is red plus yellow so from a distance it's the same thing but like it's if it's going to be the same thing from a distance anyway, why not have something that's stylized when you look up close? Extra extra added uh, strain on whoever makes the flag. They have, they have to go and make this intricate thing when it serves no function. It does. It looks cool. That's a, that's totally a valid function. I, I am glad, though, that you brought this up because I was like, oh, no, he's going to top up really good flags and all we're going to do is sit here and go, yeah, it's a really, it's a really good flag. It's, it's terrible and you love it. That's great. It's, it's awesome. It's an awesome flag. There's conflict within this debate. I love it. <laughs> uh, I have I have an example of uh, a terrible flag, but in an unexpected way. Oh, yeah? I'm about to hand you a gift I got from someone who I really hope isn't listening. I should double check before I set this line. <laughs> no, it's fine. You can just take that line out. I, I'm going to... No, no, they won't be listening. Definitely not. I'm going to hand you this. 
I'm going to describe it and you're going to tell me what's wrong. Okay. Okay. Don't say anything before I finish my description. So I have handed Bill a mug, plain old mug, and on it is a load of flags, which is fine, but there are numerous problems that I I really don't like and it's, it really aggravates me. <laughs> so I'm on, I want to see if Bill can see it. Okay. He's, uh, so Bill is pointing at, do you want me to bring this up? Spain. Bill, Bill is pointing at a flag of Spain. Well, first of all, what are all these flags? These are? Uh, flags of Europe. So it's a mug with all the flags of Europe on it. Now you point at Spain. Now what is wrong with Spain? Does the Spanish flag have, have a crest? Yeah, well, it has a crest. Does it? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Okay, so I thought it was red and yellow. No, no, it has a crest. Okay, well, never mind that then. Okay, well, I can think of a couple problems. Okay, what's the name? name there are lots of problems. Name one. They're all... Um, one to two, I think? They're, they're all in the same ratio. So flags like Switzerland yeah, suffer. Yeah, the Vatican City. The Vatican City suffers. Now, that I can get by because I'm like, oh, they need to cram them all onto a mug. There's something I cannot get by. Can you find it? And I'll throw links in the show notes to a picture of this so people can see. <laughs> Bill is studying it in detail. His eyes squinted. Poland's the right way around, anyway. Poland is good. Poland is not Indonesia. That's always good. <laughs> well done, vexillological cup makers. <laughs> Um, oh, he can't find it as readily as I did. I, um, listeners, when I got this present off a friend, uh, the, this this popped out immediately and I became very angry and I couldn't hide my anger in front of them. And I think I may have semi-offended them, which is just terrible. <laughs> Give me another five seconds. Five. Four. Is it three, the definition of Europe? Two. Could be. Do you want to elaborate? That Kazakhstan that? is on it. Kazakhstan is on a flag of Europe's cup that is so terrible it's not even funny Kazakhstan for anyone who who doesn't know is beyond the Black Sea is east of the Black Sea and this is beyond the likes of Armenia Azerbaijan Georgia like even more east it borders Mongolia it doesn't it does border Mongolia I don't think it does I think it does no I don't think so double check it it comes very close to, but I think it comes to it, and then there's a bit of China oh. and Russia, and then it's Mongolia. Okay, okay, it borders China. <laughs> like it's not in Europe. So does Russia. Yeah, Russia. <laughs> Russia, we can't obviously we can't count, but it's not in Europe. And then, so then people said to me, "Oh, it's a uh, cup of the flags of people partaking in the Eurovision." So the Eurovision for people is a annual song contest held where all the countries of Europe, and I use the word countries of Europe very loosely, take part in a, a sing-along and um, a winner a sing is... against. A sing against and a winner is crowned and everyone's all happy about it. Kazakhstan has shown interest in joining the Eurovision. That's Apparently the Eurovision is huge in Kazakhstan. So they were like, oh yeah, yeah, the Kazakhstan is, uh, is in Europe. And then my retort to that is, well, they have the Vatican City. That doesn't take part in Eurovision. They so don't have Israel. They don't have Israel. This flag. Israel this, does take part. It's not in Europe, but it does t- tend to take part in, the, in exactly. the Eurovision. Exactly. Uh, so this flag is wrong on so many accounts. And then a further account was that on its second cup of tea within it, it cracked. Yeah, I know it's been cracking it. <laughs> so no longer, fu- it doesn't function as a collection of flags of Europe and it doesn't function as a cup. And it's the former that really annoys me more. <laughs> So I'll throw a link in the show notes. I couldn't get over the fact that someone put Kazakhstan in the flag of Europe thing. It's just, it's just horrendous. There's uh, like maybe a 30 kilometer stretch of China-Russia border separating Mongolia and Kazakhstan. Okay. They're just a little bit apart. Either way, 
It's bordering yeah, China. It's 30 kilometers away from Mongolia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not It's not Europe in any way, shape, or form. Like, And I realize that continents are really like semantic things, you know? Uh, but yeah. Well, it's a cultural thing, and culturally it isn't part of Europe. Yeah, culturally it's not part of Europe. So anyhow, that was that was a funny gift, and I really offended the person giving it to me. Because I was like, oh, vexillogically un- inaccurate, not good. Okay, so from this point out, it is going to be spoilerific. We are so now in Star Wars. We're talking territory. about Star Wars, so we will be discussing the new film, The Force Awakens. Then there will be spoilers. We're going to talk about what happens. We're not going yeah. to be able to avoid talking about spoilers. So I'm afraid if you don't want to get things spoiled and you haven't seen it yet, now is a good time to duck out. You can return to this episode once you have seen it. Yeah, totally. Um, in fact, if I would, you don't I would, care, then listen on. You're like me, I don't care about spoilers. Really? Yeah. If someone spoils something for me, I don't care. Someone spoiled the last book of Game of Thrones for me. And I was like, meh, so... Okay. I still, I think I said before, I get joy in uh, seeing how things actually yeah. as opposed to like what actually happens. Um, I actually had a couple things spoiled in me this morning. Oh, for because uh, I was reading TV tropes and I was I had been reading about Usual Suspects, which I've seen, although I did have that spoiled in me okay. before I saw it. Um, so that's that's the kind of thing where a spoiler would bother because the ending of the Usual Suspects is what it's all about. Like there's a big twist ending. Oh, spoiler! And it changes. Here. It changes like the entire interpretation of the film. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are times that yeah. it does really, really affect. Yeah. So what did I have? So I had um, I had Bioshock Infinite spoiled on me. Funny enough, actually, after talking about it yesterday with you, oh, right. I got I got the ending spoiled on me. Huh. Um, but I'm still going to play it because I still want to see how that happens. Exactly. It still seems yeah, yeah. Weird. Yeah. Um, and I had a bit of How I Met Your Mother spoiled as well. But apparently, that's meant to be a terrible ending and kind of ruins the whole rest of the TV show in hindsight. So. Oh, it's meant to be a very good TV show. I've heard. I've heard, yeah, a lot of people liked it, but a lot of people hated the ending. Oh, really? And that the ending kind of took away from how good the rest of it was. Anyways, anyways, should we do some Star Wars? Star Wars. Let's do Star Wars. Okay, so uh, I suppose the best thing to do would be uh, to give a really concise overview of what we taught, and then maybe go into more detail. Okay. Okay? My opinion, now, oh, I will need to stress, and I think this goes for both of us, is that these are our initial opinions. We just watched it last night. They are very liable to change. Yeah, this is like... Like 16 hours ago. Which... Yeah, a mere matter of hours after yeah. the event. Um, my initial thoughts after giving it some thought last night before I uh, went to sleep is that I think it's a bad movie. And I don't think it merits all the joy it's getting on the internet at the moment. That's my thoughts. What are yours? A phrase popped into my head in the final okay. act. Okay. Um, which I think sums up what I was thinking about it. And that is, at what point does an homage become a rehash? Yeah, I I seen you put that up, and that's uh, very accurate. Do you want to elaborate on that? Um, and here's where the spoilers start. <laughs> Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens is very, very similar to A New Hope. Painfully similar. Extremely similar. Yeah. It begins on a desert planet with a droid carrying um a holographic message that that the 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 bad guys want the, go- the bad guys want and the good guys whose name begins with re want to uh want to save from the bad guys um it begins so it begins on a desert planet and then the plucky heroes get off you go know, head off and they get caught up with the good guys and the giant planet killing laser death machine in space is um, the Death Star the Death Star? They've got another Death Star. It's the third Death Star. It's called yeah. the Star Killer Base. Yeah, but it's um, essentially the same as the Death Star. It's a Death Star the size of a planet, yeah. not a moon. 
the ending, the, the the good guys fly in with the X wings and blow up the Death Star, and it's a, and it was the same process. The blowing up the Death Star was the same. They had a small target to hit. Yeah, they all had to just aim for that. that like where they're flying down the alley, down the alley. Yeah, it's it's, it's very very similar it was shot. Painfully similar. Now I was. Oh, do you have anything further to add on the synopsis there? There was one more similarity. What was it? No, it'll come back to me later. Okay. Um, I I like Bill's idea of trying to see the positive in things. And I, I've actually been taking this on board. And in, in life in general, I've tried to not be so critical of things. No, no, I, no, that's, that's wrong. I like being critical. It's good to be critical, but also try and yeah. see the good of a thing, yeah. you know? So, I, I like I said, I did not like this movie. I think this movie is borderline offensive to people who really like Star Wars. Uh, but the good, the good points and unexpectedly good points were that um, the little robot... I think yes. you and I both thought this. I because I don't like cute things in 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 actiony kind of movie. I don't like family friendly stuff. I don't like yeah. kids in films for the most part. Mm. Uh, you know, kids films like if they're actually like kids films, yeah, it's different. different. But yeah, it's yeah. like you know the, the plucky kid in like, sort of an actiony family movie. I usually hate them. Yeah, um, and I don't usually like cute things. But BB Eight, big fan. Great, BB Eight is awesome, brilliant, awesome, and adorable. And yeah, he I coming into that, I thought he was just there to sell toys, like the Ewoks were in the original thing. And it's clearly working because everyone has bought a, DV, uh, a BB-8 before they've even seen the film. But he actually plays a good role in the story and he has a, a good character to him mm. for just being a little robot. He's a better R2-D2 than R2-D2 is in a way. Uh, I, I think, uh, like Bill said, the this film is a New Hope point two. It's a better New Hope than the original New Hope. Mm. But that doesn't make it good. Do you know, like... Well, what's a, another good point? Uh, I thought the lightsaber fights. We we didn't we didn't talk about this too much last night. You and I. They were so in the original ones. They were very static. Right. You know there were wasn't really much movement. There wasn't really much of a martial art. Exactly. And the whole point was that. Well, people say the whole point is that it was more about the intensity of the emotions going on in the mm-hmm. scene than the actual fighting. I think a more accurate description was that. They just didn't have budget to maybe hire all these stuntmen and all the yeah. elaborate sets and things like that. In this, and then in the new, the prequels, it was way over the top. Like, like remember Yoda doing the st- stupid spinny stuff and remember all that? I remember really enjoying that at the time. Oh, I thought it was stupid. It was, it was almost like a capoeira showcase. Yeah. You know, as opposed to a lightsaber fight. Yeah. And in this film, they do a good thing. It's, it's new enough that it doesn't look static, mm-hmm. but it's not the stupid flipping around. There's, yeah. it's, it's a really good mix between mm-hmm. the old and the new, and I really enjoyed that. Yeah, you had a very interesting point about lightsaber fights. Do you want to bring that up? I think people should know this at the very end. Oh yeah, I think Bill had a moment of really great insight here. Uh, so when Ray is fighting Kylo Ren, so Ray is Rey our is the, the female protagonist. The female protagonist, yeah. At the end, and she like knocks back uh, Kylo. Kylo Ren is the correct name. Kylo Ren or Kylo Ren, uh, something like that. Kylo Ren. Let's check. I think it's Kylo Ren. Yeah. I think it's Kylo Ren. She knocks him back, and she goes for a huge like overhand, like so the like as though you're wielding a big sword. Lightsabers behind her head, huge overhand chop down on top of him, which you wouldn't really need if you've got a laser sword because strength isn't going to be that much of an issue, presumably. And you found this really bad. Well, I, I just, I, I didn't find that bad necessarily. I was just telling, that's an interesting thing to think about when talking about lightsabers is that strength won't actually be that much of a big deal. Mm-hmm. And then my point on that was that it was to show that she was untrained in the ways of the force. Yeah, that's she, and I think she, that she that doesn't have any nuance or finesse to her. But that's not the bit I'm on about. Oh, the, the, the other yes. bit, the other really the, the interesting bit. The first time a lightsaber is turned on um, in the whole film. 
Well, keep going. It is. I still think we also, this isn't the part, but keep going. Okay, well, this is this is when Finn is fighting the, the stormtroopers outside uh, Maz's, like when, when Maz's cantina gets destroyed. Finn, like, just runs up and, like, like puts the lightsaber into a dude and then turns it on. It's like there's no finesse or anything whatsoever. Yeah. He just runs up and bah! right into it and then turns it on. Like the complete opposite of like grace and and I thought that was class because because he, he had just, no training as well. Yeah, and he's yeah. just like he's just like fighting for survival. Like damn, gotta kill a dude. Yeah, kill exactly. Dude. Yeah, that's that, not that, what you're talking that's about. That's not what I'm talking about. At the at the end when they have uh, when Kylo Ren and Rey fight it out yep. and the moment where they're doing the starey thing and their lightsabers are oh that thing yeah that thing because no this is actually genius on your part like, I can't believe you put the other two before this so to set it up the bad guy Kylo Ren is fighting our female protagonist Ray, Ray, and they're having you know the classic good guy bad guy duel off and there's a lot of moments where um where their lightsabers clash and they stick and then there's a lot of looking at one another and the intensity of all this jazz going on and Bill had a thought about what should happen, what should have happened when their lightsabers clashed. Mm-hmm. Go for it. So he said something to her about the Force, and it, there was like a pause while they looked at each other, and it was as though she was getting an epiphany about the use of the Force. Yeah, I, I took And then as- she just like pushes him back, and they keep fighting. What I thought was going to happen was that she would turn off the lightsaber. While the two lightsabers While the lightsabers stuck. were locked, yeah. right? So she would turn off the lightsaber and sidestep his swipe and then turn it on again so she'd be inside his guard. And then take him. And then take him. Yeah. That was, that was, that would be and a class. I, surely someone in some like expanded universe media in Star Wars has, has, has written about the, the tactical use of turning off the lightsaber. I'd love to hear about that. Surely yeah, someone's done that. Definitely, definitely. I thought that was genius. Because lightsaber is like so interesting as an, as an as a weapon because it's just a line segment. There's no dimensionality to mm, it. Mm. It's it's just like you hit people with this segment of like yeah. this this thing in space mm. between this point and this point. You hurt people. Yeah. And so you could do so much cool stuff with the fact that it turns off and on pretty much instantly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That, totally. I I think that's that, that that's a huge tactical thing that I think they should have dropped that in. Like, if, if they had realized that, they really should have yeah. dropped it in. Because that would have been cool. Mm. And I think very unexpected mm. to, to audience members. Yeah. Whereas it turned out to be a bit of a lame scene, didn't it? It was a bit, she looked at him for a bit, he looked at her for a bit. It was all very much intense. Lots of eye contact, low home in the background. Yeah. And then they continued on with the fighting. Yeah. It felt like it was missing a bit, that bit. I think yeah. you, you hit the nail on the head with what it should have been. Yeah. Uh, overall, more good points on my part, and feel free to disagree if this is the case, uh, is that the use of CGI... Overall, was good. Mm-hmm. Overall, it wasn't prequel standard CGI, which is which is great. Few dodgy parts uh, when Solo dies. Spoilers, sorry. <laughs> when Han Solo dies and he, he falls off a thing, it's a bit CGI-ish. You can see that he's turned into a computer graphic and things like that. The CGI was good. It was minimal, and there was lots of practical effects, mm-hmm. which were interesting because I think I like movies with practical effects because it shows a real craft. You know, they had to get some bespoke craftsmen in to make all these things, mm-hmm. which I think is, is cool. What, what do you think about that? It's not the kind of thing I tend to pick up on much. Really? No. And like, even they dropped particular scenes where you were made to look at the practical effects and you didn't, didn't pick up at all? Oh, no. All right. Well, you, you weren't as aware of, of this the whole, like, do it practical ethos they had. No. Stuff, and if I had been, I, I still wouldn't really, really? Have registered. No, okay. I don't think so. Do you think they did a good job? Any of it jarring? Did any of it look like, oh, Christ, that's stop motion? That's awful. No. No. Okay, well, I thought so too. I thought. Yeah, well, I guess that's a good point, yeah. If it doesn't take you out of it, then yeah, they've done the, the they've job done well. They've done it very, very well. I mean, like, there, there's... I'm, I'm not fully decided about the film yet. There, there's a lot of stuff I didn't like about it, like the fact that it's it's just a... It feel, felt like such a rehash mm. of 
of A New Hope. It's like a third Death Star. It's like yeah, it's the three out of the seven movies. My problem is that there was just very little originality in that film. Um, it didn't beat you over the head with references and with references yes. to the canon. Yeah, and it, like it's very easy for films to do that. I think to put in like nods for the mm. for for the audience and like you know, oh well, every character that you see is connected to something else and yeah. stuff like that. There was a few things like. Um, Ray makes a joke to, to Solo or says something to Solo about the Kessel Run. Yeah, the Millennium Falcon and, oh, the Kessel In 14 Parks X. He goes, it was 12. <laughs> um, you know, and that, that was kind of funny. And there's was like fun. little stuff like that that's done well. Uh, yeah, there are more black people in Star Wars now. So it's that's, more that's diverse. Good. More diverse. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's great. Um, there's, there's only really one previously, I guess. No. Just Lando. Oh yeah, Lando. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of yeah. course. Yeah, in in the is he in the prequels? No, in in there Empire was, Strikes Back. There was that. Was he a pilot or a captain in the prequels? Possibly. I can't remember. I can't remember. Possibly. But yeah, no. It's but no, they're, they're doing good stuff in yeah. increasing representation uh, in terms of gender and race. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, yeah. Ray is is like the most the most badass of the of yes. the more badass of the two characters. The I most compelling say. character in it. Yeah, 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 definitely. We don't know a lot about her. No. We don't actually know much about Rey. No. We know that she has a backstory, that there is something in her past. We know we don't, she, she she's is... waiting for family. She was abandoned on, on, on Jakku. Jakku, which is the like desert that. planet we mentioned. The, the desert planet, Which yeah. is not, totally not Tatooine. And even the sun on Jakku looked like the sun on Tatooine, minus the other thing. Did it? Yeah. I was like, hang on. This is like, this. I thought that was one of the more uh, yeah. over-the-head nods, where there was like a almost exact same shot, minus like... Skywalker, like mm-hmm. the desert, and it's it's sunset, and you have the golden sun. And I was like, all that's missing is that additional sun, and yeah. then it's literally Tatooine, you know. Um, I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing people write about it and and, and what they what they think, what, yeah, kind of critical critical reception of it. Because you had another great idea in the cinema. Do you want to do you want to tell people? Um, the environmental thing. The environmental thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So obviously, Starkiller Base it draws its power from a sun. So I, I assume it teleports around like the Death Star can do. I don't know. Oh, I didn't realize. Does the Death Star teleport? Death. Well, I said it doesn't teleport. The Death, the Death Star has warp drives, I think. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like it, it, it goes like kind of near to Alderaan and blows mm. up Alderaan, and then it goes somewhere else. Um, I assume that um, the Starkiller the race can do yeah, the same. Yeah. So it draws its power from the sun, mm. and it's it's the, the base itself is like an ice planet, and then the fight scene between Kylo Ren and Rey. It takes place in a forest, and they 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 cut down loads of trees. Like their wild swings keep like the oh, lightsabers yeah. pass through trees and stuff. Just no, just to clarify, because it can get confusing if you if you haven't watched. If you're one of the people who don't care about spoilers and are listening, anyways, the Star Killer Base is a planet. Sorry, yes, yeah, it, the Star Killer Base. It, they, this is what we've been referring to as a third Death Star. Yes, it and it is a planet, and they've like kind of they've built a giant death ray inside inside the planet. The planet exactly, it looks cool as hell. It does look cool. It looks cool as all hell. Very cool. Very very cool. And this is what I say: a better New Hope. It's a better Death Star <laughs> than the original one. And and what happens is that the, this this uh, base travels close to stars hmm. and sucks in all the star material into like a big vacuum hole in the middle. Is stored hmm. there, and then they travel around on this planet that has been retrofitted to be a weapon and then blow up places. And so you were saying the fight takes place uh, in on an icy biome on this planet, which is the weapon. Yeah. So they're, they're on the surface of Starkiller Base, which yeah. is this ice planet, and they're in a forest. While the, you know, or while and just after, actually, just after the sun has been has been has been consumed, yeah, yeah. and there, the, the combat, the lightsaber swings keep like chopping through trees, mm. and it's kind of laying waste to the forest. So I'm wondering, is there anyone going to write anything about the environmental 
Okay, a, a, a kind of environmental cr- critical reception of that because the first of all the weapon destroys the, like the sun. the sun like the yeah. source of life yeah and then the combat afterwards is like destroying nature like, mm. the forest is used as kind of like a primal thing of nature is nature's yeah. purest form or whatever and the violence there mm. is causing damage to that but, but I, and I suppose the entire planet has been perverted into being a weapon maybe you could say something about that as well yeah like they they've like the the way it's it's shown visually, like there's a huge like maybe like a a quarter of of the the distance between the equator and the pole has been excavated, yeah, and into this like huge trench that is part of the weapon, yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's a planet with a big chunk taken out of it, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, the uh, yeah, I think you could you could also you could also read into it like uh, industrialization things and and yeah, yeah, modernization, yeah. Yeah. the aggressive modernization sure. sort of thing, and that would all come in on. My point I wanted to make to you, I didn't make it last night when we were watching it, uh, is that, is this sort of analysis valid? I don't know enough about that to say. Okay, because I'm, I'm thinking like, sh- surely, I, I can't presume to talk for Abrams and his writing team, but surely, like, they a- they're aiming to make another Star Wars. I, I wouldn't imagine they're aiming to make a environmental... A film about environmental critique. So my point matter. to you is, I know, but yeah, this is. The, I was interested to see how it works. My point to you is, if one can read something into it, is it valid because you make those connections, even though, say, no one perhaps intended that. Yes. Yeah. You, and reasons for, like, why, at, what, why is at, that what, valid? at what point? At what point does it go from being interpreting what you see and just making up? Like, where is the line where it's no longer acceptable to be like, oh, this is an interpretation of this? All right. There's a, there's a concept. And this is a concept of a lot of difficulty with, but it's um, the death of the author. So yes, that's what yeah. the author actually intends isn't always that relevant to, mm. to, to a work. And I mean, I think you can, you can take that a bit far. My issue is where you yeah. kind of, you say things like, like nothing means anything. So then everything can mean something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, yes, you know, you can take any interpretation from anything at all, which I think is, is clearly not really the case. But I mean, the fact that no one had an intention to, to say anything about environmentalism when making the film doesn't mean that they didn't use powerful imagery that can mm. still have relevance. And also because not everyone thinks about every single thing that they're doing. We we exist in a, in a cultural soup that we're not fully aware of. Yeah. yeah. You know? Um, and this is why like things like representation of race and gender are so important because we live in a society that has inequalities on so many bases that we, we need to make a specific effort to yeah. to combat those things mm. because they, they're things that we're not aware of and and this is the same like even though they're not actually thinking about environmentalism they they still have like it has destroyed a sun a forest is being damaged because of violence there there are still things that you can say about what that says so as long as the critique is based on something tangible it is valid critique yeah, yeah, I mean, and of course, like the other thing is, all these fields decide themselves what what is valid and what isn't. I mean, you know, at some point, it's only going to be un- unto its own authority. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. I exactly. mean, like, there's, there's, you can't have like nailed down a you know a perfect modernist idea of what is and isn't valid critique, yeah. but you know, because it is it is a, a postmodern concept. This, this is to, why I'm putting it to you because yeah. this sort of thing is it's hard for me to pin down. Yeah. Um, and it, I just found it very interesting when you brought that up. I was kind of like, okay, but why, why do, why is that okay, yeah. okay to say that? I don't understand because I was like, they were yeah. they were sitting around going, how do we make a really good blockbuster? Not go, how do yeah, we? Yeah, sure. Yeah, you know what I mean. So, but you know the the point of the point of this kind of critical analysis isn't necessarily to make 
declarative statements. It's to have dialogue. It's, it's, to, it's right, not yeah. necessarily saying this is what this film is about. It's just saying, look at what this what is in this film. What does that also, say? In a way, the film is irrelevant. In the way, it's just it's a springboard for a discussion. Not exactly, because you're still talking about what happened in the film. You're yeah, using, yeah. You're using you're discussing the imagery in the film and what that could be interpreted to mean. You're still yeah. like it still is based in. That's really interesting. Mm. Sorry, I, I realize probably not. This is not what everyone wants to hear. Probably, no, I mean, like, look, honestly, I don't know that much about this kind of stuff. I know a little bit about. Yeah, it, yeah but you know, I know from, nothing. Yeah, and therefore I ask you questions. <laughs> uh, so, what do you have any other comments on on Star Wars? Anything that pop out that you think you want to put into the public domain? I, I have one thing on the Millennium Falcon. Yeah, I, I think the Millennium Falcon was too was portrayed as being too slick. Right. Uh, I, I think I'm a real purist in this sense. I see the Millennium Falcon as being this kind of like a uh, like blundering old wreck of a ship that kind of gets by because it's plucky. You know, there's a character to it. It has a thing to it. Mm-hmm. And it, and in this movie, there is a lot of the Millennium Falcon doing like death-defying feats. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it, I just took away because there was a character to the Millennium Falcon. And I think it took away from that character. It became yet another vehicle. Like, if you didn't already know the Star Wars thing, it would be just yet another vehicle that happens to be, have a name. And it didn't have the sort of feeling of luck on its side the way it did have in the original one. I, that that bugged me. I think right. they, they didn't need to do that, I don't think, you know? Because it did some pretty intricate stuff when they're going through the old uh, destroyers. All that flying in little tiny cramped yeah. quarters, you know? Yeah, but Ray's badass, so that's why that worked. Yeah, but I don't know. I really, I, I genuinely enjoyed the character of the Millennium Falcon in the, in the early mm-hmm. ones. I think they're really good. They're really good. I liked the the monsters on the freighter. The monsters on the freighter. Remember, Ray tries to like block off the corridors, but accidentally opens the the freights. Well, did you? What was uh? What was? There's a monster in D and D called an Otu. Okay. Or an Otu or something. Oh, they're all in Final Fantasy as well. Are they? Yeah. What do they look like in Final Fantasy? Uh, they look like they look like a bulbous type thing that kind of has a flat top, and then out of this flat top comes like tentacles green tentacles uh, I always think it's a cross between an onion an octopus and a plant in um, the in the Final Fantasy oh okay I don't know if it's like that in D&D but in Final Fantasy they always tend to look sort of like that yeah and there's, there's an element of poison about them uh, is this a thing that's in D&D in, well in the, I think they're they're usually tripedal and they've got like a lot of tentacles and they live yeah. in like like uh, middens and like what's, rubbish what, what's pits and stuff oh okay Oh, that's um, the and they've got like big long tentacles. Different in Final Fantasy. In Final okay. Fantasy, they're seen as a, a forest creature. I'm going to look up Otu Final Fantasy and see what they look like. No, that's not totally different. I can see. They look more like a plant. Yeah, no, no, but like the, like the, the shape is roughly similar. Okay, all it's right. A similar kind of shape, and these monsters were kind of like that as well. Like they they were like. Bulbous and shape, had big yeah. mouths and big long mm. tentacles. They're just kind of space autos. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, that's interesting. Isn't it? Oh, I didn't think it's, that. it's just a good design for a I, I thought it was hilarious that Solo was hauling them. Uh, Finn, uh, the ex-stormtrooper, isn't it? He's an ex-stormtrooper. Yeah, he, he's a, a stormtrooper who, who loses his taste for war crimes. Yeah, exactly. He says to Solo, like, he cannot believe that Solo is uh, hauling one of these space autos. And then Solo turns on and says, I got three of them. Which <laughs> oh, is just great. Um, what, what, a couple of things I didn't like. Okay, go for um, it. I liked the setup. Was that, like, the the Empire didn't just die cleanly. It wasn't like, Empire's gone, Republic now, everything fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, the story picks up 30 years later. 
and it's yeah. it's still not a fully solid victory. The the Empire has been replaced by the First Order, yeah. who have stormtroopers and they're kind of allied with the dark side of the Force or whatever. And there's the Resistance fight them, but the Resistance are separate to the Republic somehow. That's not really kind of who made knows? clear. Yeah. Um, but I, I I like that it wasn't clean. I like that it's a little yeah. bit messy. The aftermath of Return of the Jedi isn't a clean... Is, it's real world. Yeah. It seems like it would be in the real world. But then the planet killer base destroys the Republic halfway through the film. And that's it. And that's like, it's it's done now. There's no more Republic and this is kind of... Oh yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it, it takes just, out those five planets or whatever. It destroys yeah. the system that where where the Republic Senate is. Oh yeah, and that's not really very well. Like you don't get any sense of kind of big deal to that because yeah, it, you, they haven't set up the Republic yeah, as being what, a thing. Yeah, when you said that, I was like, oh, I thought they just took out planets as a show of force, and then I had to really think and be like, oh no, they were the Republic because it wasn't set up as being yeah, like you yeah. say, an important thing. Yeah, like yeah. They, they they didn't put any time into like clarifying what's going on in the setting really. Yeah, so that these supposedly momentous events don't feel big. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I'm with you on that. And it 100%. says, I, I think, um, does Akbar say to say to General Organa at some point um, that they, without the help of the Republic's fleet, so presumably the Republic's fleet has been destroyed. But again, we don't know anything about that and we don't know, Yeah, like, it doesn't like feel like anything. That's, yeah, you, you're dead right. I hadn't thought of that at all. Yeah. And I thought there was some pretty lazy writing in it. Oh, elaborate. Cole just kind of turns up the pilot, oh, no, the, whole, who, the pilot who uh, oh, Finn escaped. Poe, Poe, po, sorry. Is it Poe? Poe, it's Poe, po, yeah. yeah. Po. I, I couldn't, someone actually told me that last night, but I couldn't remember what, what it was. And there was a few names I was getting confused okay. by. Poe just like is back at the rebel race. And like, you've yeah. assumed he's dead. And Deus Ex Machina, anyone? Well, it's not even just Deus Ex Machina. Just like, here I am. <laughs> I've been here all along. And then R2-D2 just like, decides to wake up again at the end yeah, of the film and nowhere. solves the thing. Yeah, exactly. And solves it, that plot thing. And it was set up that he was like, he had been in low power mode because Luke had gone. Yeah. He, so he, the he logical was, thing would be that he would power back up if Luke was somehow maybe near. Yeah. Or things like that. Or he, I don't know, sensed Luke or Luke sensed it. But there's, but there was nothing to do with Luke. Like, in that yeah, like okay, we've done, we've done the main part of the plot now. We just need to get to Luke. Uh, turn on R2-D2. Yeah, that was really lazy. Very, Out of nowhere. I, I was like, what was that about? That, 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 was, that was stupid. Although, the little interaction between R2-D2 and BB-8 was very cute. That was quite cute. That was very that was cute. BB-8. BB-8 is hella cute. <laughs> hella cute. There was a bit that I thought was dodgy on the lore side of things. Oh, yeah? This was 30 years after the old films, you say? It's set 30 years after yeah. the, the Battle of Endor, I think, yeah. Luke is portrayed as a mythological figure. Yeah, what's... Yeah, and it's like, oh, Luke Skywalker, did he actually exist? Like, is he not a legend? It was like, this happened 30 years ago. But it happened 30 years ago in a galaxy. Like, I mean, that is a big scale thing. You know, there's a lot of time for, like, people to be so far removed from that, you know? Yeah, but we're also... This is also a galaxy that allows travel from one end to the other in about a month. Yeah, but I mean, like, you know. still, it's like that's trillions of 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 humans of of individuals. I don't know. That was really jarring to me. I get your. I take your point. Yeah. No. Me. No. I, I I see what you mean, it's and like it is just, it is a bit weird. Just I, thirty years. I don't think it's entirely unjustified, but it is a bit weird. Like they should. They could have. They didn't need to do that. They could have said like he was. What was it? He was upset uh, about the the bad guy turning bad, basically. Yeah. And he could just like oh, this is very much like like Yoda, but he could just just gone in exile. He, like, openly declared, I am no longer a part of this thing. I have failed and then left. Yeah. As opposed to, like, he faded into myth. 
just very bizarre yeah. to thought that was although silly. maybe maybe that is going to be explained as in that's something to do with the force that like part of his disappearing act was mm. him using Jedi powers to, to kind of obscure maybe, knowledge yeah. of him that'd be kind of cool the force hand wave him in its truest form <laughs> I, I I um there's a really good uh, 60 symbols video I think do you know the channel 60 symbols it's kind of a physics channel I suppose uh, like number five you know number five don't you yeah yeah it's like number five it's made by the same guy made by Brady Haran and uh, many years ago say many years ago about two years ago maybe they made a um, video about the force and tried to talk about it in physics terms and uh, it's really interesting it was basically a talk about how the force is not quantum entanglement please stop saying it's quantum entanglement (laughs) Because loads of people are saying that, oh, it's just like, uh, for those who don't know, quantum entanglement, the easiest way I can explain this, and the only way I really know, is that we can't think of electrons as being individual. We think of them as all being connected. They're all, like, coupled. Every electron in the universe. And with entanglement, if you change uh, a property of one electron, like a spin or something or whatever, it instantaneously changes the property of another electron. And it could be on the other side of the universe. All right? And so... People are people have used quantum entanglement to justify the force that it's a all Jedi's can manipulate and can quantum entangle and manipulate these couplings at a uh, on a whim and it sounds very like very legit it sounds like it's become hard science but then this guy in the video an Irish professor actually went through I just talked about how that's that that isn't even remotely <laughs> kind of like you could know that like even in the furthest of futures with the with the highest level of technology you will never be able to do that. It's a good video. You should watch it. I'll show okay. it in the show. That's interesting because I did come across something recently that was um, kind of disputing the kind of popular idea of what quantum entanglement is. There was yeah. an article on... Um, do, do you read or science at all? The science writer. Yeah, well, I, I, don't, I wouldn't say read. I check the headlines and see if there's anything, you know... Because there was a headline recently something to do with quantum entanglement. And okay. the the headline uh, the the story said something about using it for like fast and like communication or whatever. Yeah, but you can't. Yeah, you can't do that. That's, yeah, the, the, that the, the, everyone in the comments was like, "No, that's not what that is. Yeah, that yeah, is yeah. T- entirely not what that is. You, you don't change anything. You just by looking at it, you see what the spin is, and then you can tell what the spin of the other one is. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you can cannot use it as a uh, fashion. I think Brian Cox. You know Brian Cox, the yeah, the, the rock star. <laughs> the rock star. Band. No, not that Brian Cox. Brian Cox, the uh, physicist who was does... in a band. No, really, he was a keyboard player in a band in the nineties. Get out! Was he in a big band? Like, as in, like, like people would they're, know they're of called people. Dream. I no. I don't know, recognize them, but a lot of people do. Yeah. No way. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Anyhow, he got in trouble a while ago for. Oh, well, maybe it's not Dream. Come on, <laughs> bear with me. Yeah, Brian Cox, Northern Irish. Things can only get better. He, he's, he's from Northern Ireland. I don't think he is from Northern Ireland, but they were. They were wow. from Derry. Huh, there you go. He's from Battersea. Anyhow, he got he got in trouble uh, for doing a talk um, where he talked about quantum entanglement. And he didn't misrepresent quantum entanglement. He just left it very open for people to interpret this faster than light property. Right. And a lot of physicists got very, very up in arms with this. You know, the whole propagation, uh, don't propagate uh, things that can be interpreted the wrong way. Make sure it's... Right said correctly and things like that but yeah it's a good it's a good video this quantum entanglement video um you should watch it to try and figure out the the force deepak chopra you know deepak chopra <laughs> we'll do this for one second he's one he's, i have a scowl on my face yeah he listeners. does bill, bill is looking at me very 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 badly he's one of those guys that that um 
perpetuates this nonsense that quantum entanglement somehow or yeah. quantum stuff somehow operates on the macro world. Like the man's a fool. And uh, he's a charlatan. He is a charlatan. And uh, you've put up statuses about this guy. You're, you're not a fan. So people like that, you know, it's okay to explore quantum entanglement in, in speculative fiction. That's fine. Just just don't do it in serious books that claim to. Don't try and, you know, cure people's illness. With it. Yeah. With it. It's just stupid, you know, but yeah. Anyhow. Um, so do I have any additional thoughts on Star Wars? I suppose a good question would be to you would be, are you interested in he- seeing the next one? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I want to see what happens. You know, I'm inter- you know, I like following stories and I want to see- I want to see where things go. As much as anything, I'm really enjoying being present for this cultural event. Yeah. yeah. In a way I-, I was a little bit for the prequel trilogy. I wasn't. Not to the I mean, you were what, like 12 or so when 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 Phantom Menace came out, roughly? Possibly, yeah. It was about, about that age. I mean, I remember, like, I was old enough when we went to see episode three mm, with, mm, with my mm. friends. Like, it was like 16 or 17 or something. Yeah. Um, and it was a bit of a deal. But, you know, now I'm like a proper adult and I can... You can actually comment on what you're seeing. Uh, yeah, I can actually... I, I, know, I know a lot more about things and I can yeah. engage more and I, I can, I'm more aware of it happening in the cultural sphere. Mm. I did. Yeah, me too. Actually, yeah. I'm glad to be uh, part of this. It'd be nice if it was actually something that was monumental, like if there's something that was equivalent to the original Star Wars. And being like, I was there. I was. Mm. I was around to watch. I watched it the day after it, it came out. But no one's going to say that in the future about this film. They're going to be like, they rebooted it. Great, mm. <laughs> you know. Uh, oh, oh. I do want to say one more thing about J.J. Abrams that I need to talk about. Yeah. I don't like J.J. Abrams as a director. Never mind writer or anything. As a director, I don't like his style. The lens flares are obviously nonsense and they, they ruined... It, they were one of many ways that ruined... They contributed Star- to the ruin of... The ruin of Star Trek, exactly. But also he has a habit of doing a shaky camera. We, we spoke about this yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that can be very... like You can get motion sickness in the cinema if you're sitting there and this massive screen is moving around like this. So I don't think he's a particularly good director. I think he's a good TV director. And but his his techniques don't translate well onto the big screen, I think. But he toned it down for this. He really did, and he I think he did. He remained faithful to the aesthetic of the original, and he didn't J.J. Abrams it up. And I thought that was very good, particularly because he won't be doing all the films. So you can't have like one J.J. Abrams film mm. and then a totally different aesthetic when Ryan Johnson steps in and things like that. Yeah, there were lens flares, like I pointed out to you, but you didn't notice them that much. No, which which is great. Which yeah. is really, and I was on the lookout. It wouldn't necessarily be the kind of thing I would notice. Yes, yeah, but I, I, wouldn't I was be consciously aware. Of I was like, like looking out for it. And the cool thing about all these lens flares is that he did them when there is an actual source of light on screen. It wasn't just like this is the inside of a cockpit and the screen is going mad with lens lens flares everywhere. When the sun was up, when the sun was being sucked in or whatever, you could see little lens flares. Mm-hmm. It was good. That was, it was good that way. So props to J.J. Abrams and, and a lot more progressive than the Star Trek things as well. So Yeah, yeah. Although, did he write Star Trek? I'm not sure. Or was he responsible for writing it? Because we sure. give him a hard time. And if he didn't write the thing, it's not really his fault. It's his fault for the lens flares, but... I mean, he's still, as a director, he's a little bit responsible. He's kind of, like, the book kind of stops with, with the director in a yeah, lot that's of ways. Yeah. Does the director have the ability or the power to just dismiss writers? Like, if they're brought to him, it's like, I'm not putting my name to this work, go write it again. Yeah, I think so. Yeah? Especially as someone with a big name like him. Okay. Like, big companies would be okay with that? I don't think so. Oh, okay. Directed by... This Star Trek 2009. Directed by J.J. Abrams. Produced by J.J. Abrams and Damon Lindelof. Who's Damon Lindelof? You say that. Bill rolled his eyes there. He's the guy who wrote Prometheus. Oh, God. 
Oh, there we go. That's another problem with with that film. Uh, I think we've t- we've talked a little bit about Prometheus on the podcast, so we won't do it again. But that really is a it's one of the worst films ever made. Oh, and he wrote Into Darkness as well. The the the, the second Star Trek. That's film. the one with Ratican. Uh, well, not Ratican. It's one with Khan, isn't it? Khan Noonien Singh. Yes, yeah. that's another horrible film. I only I, I saw half of it. Thought it was all right. Went to the pub because I was going to meet people, and I just could not summon the interest to finish it. <laughs> I my problem is because we we were asked in an email long ago like how why we find Star Trek so repulsive those Star Trek movies. My problem is, and I th- I think I've mentioned this before, but I just want to restate it: is that uh, for me as a Trekkie and having watched all the Treks all the way up, it was always about commentary. It was always about how they discussed social issues, hmm. and it was it was never about the fighting and or space battles. Or things like that. They were just, you know, the medium to convey the, the the commentary. Whereas the Trek films are like more akin to Transformer movies. There's it's all fighting, all go, all action, all the time. And there's very little actual commentary and stuff to make you think. Trek made you think. Yeah, Those not not as don't. kind of visually unpleasant as the Transformers films. Uh, yeah, well, they're not unpleasant. They're just visually confused. I don't like them at all. I, f- I find them difficult to watch. Yeah, because they're so confused. Because there's so much going on. Yeah, yeah, so I, much I, stuff. Yeah, I, like unpleasant. I, I, I find that like an unpleasant experience. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, do we have anything to add on this? Um, no, I think that's it. I, in in something, I I enjoyed Star Trek: mm. The Force Awakens. I it was a, you know I like liking things, yes. and I did like it. I had a good time watching it. I have a few reservations about it, which I've which I've clarified. Yeah. But I would say it's worth a look. I to summarize as well. If I was a child watching this for the first time, this would be the greatest movie ever. I'm not. I've seen A New Hope already. I didn't need to go see it again. I'm a hardcore nerd fan. I found this a little bit offensive. I give it a I give it a solid maybe five out of twelve sort of thing. You know. Also, we'd love uh, for people who are who have watched the movie. Please let us know what you think. Mm-hmm. I'd love to know what you think. Um, and you know, engage us in dialogue and things. Like that. I love to get to get talking with people on this. And yeah, I suppose this ends episode episode L. Episode L. We we need to we need to leave soon. We're catching a train. I need to pack. We need to pack. Okay, we really need to leave. Can I? I just want to say, can I wish everyone? Because this will be the last podcast for Christmas. Obviously, can I wish everyone a very happy Christmas and a very happy New Year. Very happy New Year. I hope the holidays are awesome for you guys. And let us know what Santa brought. All right. So, will we call it there? We'll call it there. All right. Okay. Good luck, Bill. See you, Edgar. Thank you.